Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hi, I'm Lamberto Camacho. I'm the managing director of Solar Direct in Mexico and Central America. If you're looking for the best information and tips on how to develop and sell solar in Latin America, well, look no further. Keep listening to the Suncast with my friend, Nico Johnson. Hey there, and welcome to episode eight of Suncast, the only podcast dedicated to solar professionals in Latin America. My name is Nico Johnson, and I'm so grateful that you're joining me today for our weekly conversation with solar industry experts and thought leaders. I draw from my own personal experience in Latin America over the past decade working in solar and dig up timeless truths and lessons learned along the path with some of the most experienced folks in the biz. And I believe that personal connections coupled with in-depth market data is the most effective way that we can stay ahead of the trends. Whether you're listening on your commute, your lunch break, or sneaking in and over the weekend, it's my hope that this show helps give you the tools, insights, and resources to lead the solar revolution happening in Latin America, the fastest growing solar market in the world. You see, I want you to learn from the success of those who've gone before you. I'll try to tease out those details on market development, as well as tips to improve your approach, no matter what market you're in. Well, Happy New Year and Prospero Año Nuevo para 2016. My, oh my, where did the last three weeks go? Man, I do hope you've had a relaxed and enjoyable holiday season. I sure did. I had to put Suncast on hiatus for a few weeks due to travel and personal illness, but we are back and on track. You can expect to be getting your weekly dose of vitamin S from here on out. Thanks so much to all of you who contacted me over the holidays. I am thrilled that that many of you are actually all caught up and looking for more episodes. Here you go. Hope we've proven a worthy travel companion and happy to serve up loads more goodies in this new year. And be on the lookout for upcoming collaborations and partnerships that will be expanding both the reach and scope of Suncast. But for now, on with the show. Today on Suncast, we chat with one of the most successful young lawyers I know in the business, Mr. Jeff Atkin of Foley & Lardner. I'm glad Jeff finally said yes to being on Suncast, as I believe he offers insight into a different perspective on just what it is necessary to get a deal done. He's also one of the best networkers in the business, and I try to glean tidbits from him on how to develop relationships that really produce results. Here's a few highlights from the show. Jeff really digs into how his time as a missionary in Latin America has informed his professional life. We talk a bit about the Oris Solar Project in Guatemala that Jeff did the structuring on. If you're unfamiliar with this project, it's one of the first major tender awarded in utility-scale projects in Central America, and it's one of the largest in the region now at about 75 megawatts AC. And we mentioned a bit, but I'm not sure I go into detail about how the size of the project, so there you have it. Jeff gives his opinion on some of the lessons learned from that Oris project with his partner Onyx and uh, Group Ortiz. We discussed the power of initiative and leveraging the power of large organizations to gain traction in an emerging industry. We talk about how Jeff has differentiated fully in the pool of international firms that have a Latin American focus. And Jeff confirms the not-so-secret fact that the wealthy families are almost always the entry point for finding the early-stage opportunities and localizing good partnerships. And he gives great tips on how to develop and care for your own network. It feels like these episodes are trending closer to about 45 minutes here, and uh, I am unapologetic about that because I feel like these episodes are chock full of information. Hopefully, you can budget the time to listen all in one sitting. Either way, I'm glad you're here with us. Enjoy this week's episode of Suncast with Jeff Atkin. All right. Thank you so much for being on Suncast today. We're excited to have Mr. Jeff Atkin of Foley and Lardner with us. Jeff is the co-chair of their global energy practice, 
and has had a management position there overseeing projects around the world. His areas of practice in particular uh, include renewable energy and project finance. He's done private placements, mergers and acquisitions. And he's been, I would say, a, a critical team member for a number of the big transactions we've seen happen both in the U.S. and increasingly in Latin America over the last few years. He chairs the solar energy team for Foley and uh, also on the side has an adjunct position as professor at Loyola and has been recognized as a top 40 under 40 in a number of different uh, energy industry review magazines. I'm so glad to call him a friend and really appreciate it. Jeff, thanks for joining Suncast, brother. You ready to get down to business? Let's get it on. All right, man. Well, I definitely want to hear a whole lot more about some of the landmark projects that you and I have discussed offline. But first, I'm curious, a little bit more information would be helpful on why Gringo from Utah has any interest whatsoever in Latin America to begin with. <laughs> you know, you and I hold one country in particular in Latin America dear to mm-hmm. our hearts. And I'm wondering, can we start there? Just tell us a bit about what got you so interested in this market. Sure. Well, I guess, you know, similar similar backgrounds in that we both spent several years in Central America and in Guatemala in particular doing volunteer service. And and that's really where it started for me, at least getting kind of connections, you know, throughout Latin America. My my brother happened to be down in Chile at the time. And then and then while I was in law school, I had the benefit of working in Mexico City for a law firm. And so between between sort of those markets and that background and having spent you know several years down there when when kind of overlaying that into the energy world and where we see a lot of energy projects and renewable project it's just a perfect mix so great i'm i i think i remember a funny story your brother started a little company that that recently had some success is that right he did yeah and in, in fact he, so he he was running a company called goal zero that uh, is a battery they had, good, they know a little good. a few things about solar right they know a few things about solar and what's interesting they took some of that kind of background on things they'd been doing in Latin America. They started, you know, officially in Africa, but it was really kind of that portable solar off-grid, you know, devices to really power and empower people to have power in their house, lights on, where they could just do more. And it's a pretty interesting kind of connecting that to the volunteer service we were all doing. Uh, My brother Joe is telling me when in, in those markets that they started doing that in Africa, the average income of the households that started participating in that increased almost eightfold in some places just because they had the ability to do things and work and do other things that they didn't have before when they didn't have power. And that's pretty cool when you look at it from even just like a services and helping people out perspective. That is just so impactful. It's the reason that many of us, as you mentioned, got into this industry in particular I'm I'm really inspired, in fact, and you, you know you know this by your brother and the business that they built. You got to introduce me to him one day. But uh, <laughs> no problem. But back back to you, Jeff. Uh, you building on that it sounds like you had a great experience. Uh, I mean, Guatemala, dude, somos dos casi chapines, and uh, love it, love it, love it, love it. Yeah, we're, <laughs> I know our, our one of our favorite countries on the planet, Guatemala. Um, was that your first experience doing business in Latin America, or perhaps if not? What was your first experience with business in Latin, in LATAM outside of your, your volunteerism? Was it solar related? Give me a, a bit of a flavor of that. Yeah, what's interesting is probably the real first business was after Guatemala and after, you know, kind of during the law school working in Mexico City, my brother actually started building houses in Chile. And, and that was probably the first real kind of business that we started doing in Latin America. And, you know, although it, uh, although, you know, to some it might seem very different from what what we would do on the energy side, it's actually very similar, you know, finding, acquiring real estate, um, signing up kind of supply agreements, getting construction teams, getting permits, getting financing, moving cash in and out from international investors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, very analogous to what we're doing today on the energy front. But that was it just on a much smaller scale, just happened to be in Chile uh, did some other kind of similar type projects in Central America. And, and you know, so it's a good kind of introduction on a smaller scale to what we're doing now on a bigger scale with energy projects. 
That's amazing. And I, I can't remember, but did you start at Foley or were you at another firm before Foley? Yeah, no, I started at Foley and I've been here, you know, my entire career now. So 14 years in which in the legal industry, it's a little, it's unusual to have folks that stay in one place for a while, but you know, love it and haven't found a reason to leave. Not just in the legal and the solar as well. In any business, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I consider you one of the go-to guys in our industry, certainly at one of the key law firms, I mean, Conergy, we've used Foley quite a bit in our North America uh, businesses. And this industry in Latin America is just booming. Can you tell me a little bit about how you found yourself in renewables and, you know, sort of became the chair of the energy practice? And, you know, was that something that you that you sought after or it, how did you fall into that? I feel pretty grateful and, and in some places just like being in the right place at the right time and having benefited from that. And I think, you know, in a, in a lot of places in life, that's kind of what happens. And, you know, for me, my family comes from the airline business. And I, and when I first started practicing law, it was in aircraft finance and, you know, big ticket kind of equipment financing. And as a young attorney, first couple of years on the job, there was an opportunity to work with one of our large Spanish clients, um, which is now Axiona, in doing a solar project in, you know, outside of Las Vegas. And that was sort of one of the first, you know, and to, to traditional power companies, that wasn't that big of a project. I mean, it, it to us in solar, it was a big project at the time, over 64 megawatts. But uh, I just sort of saw that as a pretty neat opportunity to for me to get back home. I mean, I grew up outside of Las Vegas and, and spent some time doing it, and I just loved it. And so I volunteered for it, jumped on, kind of full in. And within six months, probably had as much or more solar-specific experience as anyone in our business on the legal side. And and so kind of running with that, and this goes back a little bit to Conergy as well and its predecessor company uh, that 10 years ago was able to actually work with them on several acquisitions they had made. And at that time, um, after doing three acquisitions actually for Conergy, kind of raised my hand within the firm and said, Hey guys, this is a really neat opportunity. Can I, can I set up a, you know, a division within the comp within our firm, take, take, you know, volunteers and see who else is interested in it. And what was amazing is although we are a pretty big firm with a thousand lawyers in, in that time, just, just kind of setting out the feelers and asking who's interested in kind of participating in solar. We had 36 attorneys that wanted to participate in it. Wow. In, in, and it was really amazing because it was the biggest group in our energy team. And it was the kind of the appeal and the cleanness of it that a lot of people wanted to be involved in it. So looking at, you know, what did you do? What did you do um, at the right time? Yeah, being in the right place at the right time, identifying areas like that where you can see a runway or a future and where other people around you, people you want to work with, want to be involved in, that kind of gave me a clear indication this is a good place to be. And so I jumped in both feet. And I have to imagine this is in uh, probably your mid to late 20s, right? Yep. Yeah. I that, was probably 27, 28. That's remarkable. You know, that initiative, um, I mean, it makes me, it reminds me of another, uh, a good buddy of ours in the industry, Ben Macias. I mean, Ben jumped yep. in to very early days in, in one of the companies that um, was hardly known. I mean, Shoals at that time, pre nice rack, pre all their big parties, mm -hmm. really nobody knew them. And Ben was an intern, you know, and he got, <laughs> I mean, it's a, he's a, he has a great story. I might have to have him on the, on the show at some point, but Ben was an intern and, you know, he just saw an opportunity when they were, you know, when they were trying to sell their products outside of their traditional, uh, business lines with what they were doing with first solar and ran with it. And, yeah. and, and assembled, was able to assemble a team there. And it sounds very similar in terms of being young, but recognizing there's an opportunity. I'm going to put my hand up. I'm going to, uh, and I'm going to make, <laughs> and I'm going to make a business case for, uh, for building something out that maybe is a little bit outside of the box for the company I'm working for. Yep. Love it. That is great. Uh, I just love that initiative. I'm curious, you know, you've been, been at Foley for a long time. And, uh, certainly in, in solar years, it's like dog years. You've been there for, <laughs> I don't know, what, 50 years now. And <laughs> you've watched some of your contemporaries, Chad Bourne, Hogan Levels, et cetera, who have deep roots in 
Latin America grow as well alongside you in the in the U.S. solar industry. What? Why would why would I come to Foley? Why would I seek out Jeff Atkins? What differentiates you from you know Hogan that's here in my backyard in Miami and who has deep roots in in Central America and, and Chile as well? Like where do you, where do you guys really stand out? How have you crafted that vision for for Foley? Yeah, sure. And and you know there are a couple other firms that that have kind of similarly set up connections and ties, and and I think. You know, although although there are a few in the broader scale, if you look at the 25 firms that do this work in the U.S., there's only four or five that do it into Latin America with with any sort of real competency. And so we are already in a limited pool of those folks. But even within that pool, I think where where we're really working hard to to differentiate ourselves is, you know, number one, you know, Chad, where some of these groups have deep industry experience as well. And I think we always focus on that. In once you're in that pool, I think the, you know, our class customers or clients, they they expect to have that experience, that kind of deep industry experience. What we're working really hard to do right now is to also go deeper into the particular local markets that are attractive to us. And so not just be a New York firm or uh, you know a California firm with with you know the U.S. attorneys that's dabbling or doing work in Latin America at a much higher price, but instead to really take advantage of and partner with our local teams, our local partners, in, in a way that's a that's more integrated than just kind of having a subcontractor, if you will, down in Mexico or or Chile or something like that, and and that's really what we're trying to focus on to help where we have a better. Pr- you know, offer a better product with those combined teams. And that in the end is actually, you can optimize pricing as well to make it a more effective, you know, and and more efficient product. Mm, That's interesting. So, yeah, I've seen some of those, um, some of the fruits of that. We've talked a little bit about the the projects that you have had some success on. A great example of that is the Horus 1 and Horus 2 projects in Guatemala. Do you credit that to deeper local ties or to having a great network through Foley? What do you think? Uh, uh, sort of looking back at some of the things that you just said differentiated you. How do you how do you uh, rationalize the, the those projects and and others that are following on from it? Yeah, and I think you know that one might be a combination of both. I mean, we had some very good deep local ties, and with with what I consider that local team. And, and in fact, the team at Oris and at Onyx uh, to be an incredibly professional and, and excellent team. Um, and combining that with sort of the best of our expertise and what we have to offer from kind of a U.S. firm and a firm that's got um, the experience and sort of knows the market from a financial perspective as well. And so that, that one is a, is a great example of bringing sort of a top-notch you know, international, global type finance deal, you know, using local folks as well and teaming up with the local folks in Guatemala to to produce really a product and a project that is an awesome world-class project. I couldn't agree more in terms of, uh, I mean, that project is a, is a, uh, a marquee project in, in the region for sure. I would love to hear what you feel like the lessons learned are from Oris, both at the developer level um, in, in terms of getting that project staged and also at the owner level because you represented the owners ultimately. What what do you think projects moving forward in Latin America can learn from how Oris was developed and then ultimately structured to be a successful project? Sure, and I think, I think a lot of projects, you know, each project, of course, has their own unique obstacles, you know, and, and challenges and lessons learned. Uh, but I think there's overarching, there's overarching kind of themes and, and that, that developers can benefit as well from having, and I would say one of the things that, that in Guatemala and that these particular developers did was ha- had a focus kind of with the end in mind in a longer term um, and more global focus than, than many d- projects have. And a lot of projects start out as a local development project or with local parties and who, who in some instances have some industry experience and in many instances don't have really hardly any experience. And they therefore seek to team up with more global partners at a little later point. And, and sometimes if that happens too late, 
there's already fatal flaws within the project, which might be from interconnection, from permitting, from something else, or from documents that weren't structured in a way that was financeable in the global market. So if you're taking out to market a project, a $200 million project that's going to need international financing, it better look and feel like any other project that's New York financed, that's London financed. And, and that's something where I would say the lesson learned here was the, this team did an exceptional job at not cutting those corners at the beginning and spending a little bit more time and a little bit more thought to make a deal look like feel like and be like one of these you know global world key projects and if you dig into their documents the contracts and the way it worked that's exactly what they did and so that that makes it beautiful when and you know a project like this will live for 25 30 years and there could be lots of different variations of owners and financing parties and other things like that and so having a good solid foundation is going to give these guys, the most sort of, you know, and, and other investors and financing parties in the future, the most confidence in, uh, you know, in those kind of deals and just benefit them. So I, I would say that's something to keep in mind in any of these projects, but to upfront put a little more elbow grease into it and it's going to pay big dividends in the long run. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to dig a little, a little bit deeper there because I'm curious from the structural point of view, the project ended up taking on a local uh, a local flavor, but it didn't necessarily start that way. If I don't, if I remember correctly, it was a project that was won through both of the well, it was won through the tender to begin with, the first fifty megawatts, and then the follow-on project they the 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 ones I guess the party uh, ended up by Onyx ended up buying the second project that was done by a developer who also won the tender. Is that correct? I mean, you might have more more information on that than I have on the history of it, but I think I think that's part of the um, you know part of the history. I know they did do a tender, and it was uh, you know, and it did kind of wind its way up through through that process over you know a year or so. Yeah, it amazing. It's amazing to me, having been around you know it, since before this tender happened. The way these projects, you've been, I've been able to see their lifetimes, if you will, and multiple lifetimes and deaths, if you will. I, yeah. I remember very clearly the, th this project and, and, and originally Group Ortiz winning the bid for the project at, I think it's almost, it's like, it's over 12 cents, right? It's like 12 and some change. Is that right? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. just around there. And, the whole solar industry scratching their head and saying, how is that possible? <laughs> it's sort of akin to back, you know, back in the day when you'd see Sun Edison winning projects and, and even solar city in the U S and winning big projects at really low numbers. And by the time they got around to installing it, everyone around was ready to buy that project because it was, it ultimately ended up being a high price. And the same is true today. I mean, anyone in Panama right now would kill for the price that the, Group Onyx has on their tender awarded project in Guatemala. Um, you know, only Honduras stands out above that. But it's a good example of the fact that uh, you ha you have to, and we've talked about this in the in I think the three or four previous episodes on tender strategy because it's tender season right now in in Latin yeah. America. And with your with your strategy for approaching a, a tender, you really can't look at the tip of your nose. You got to look at you know this project is going to take far longer than you thought it was going to take to structure and. The market's uh, base pricing is probably going to uh, only go go lower, and you got to consider not what you can do the price for project for today, uh, but what's going to be bankable in you know twenty four months. Yep, I mean it's always difficult, and you know in that process, and we saw this in the U.S., we saw this in California, we've seen it in basically every market that becomes more competitive. But you're building these projects several years into the future, typically, and so to predict what that install price is going to be and how does that convert into a PPA that you can sign up today? That's, that's not always easy to do. And so, um, the, you know, building at that point, you know, the kind of right structure and the off ramps and the ability to not get stuck too deep in, 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 
you know, an RFP or where you're out of too much too, too much money if the market doesn't go your way or if prices increase or something else happens is, I think, something that's sophisticated and, it, you know, and it's important to look at. So true. You know, one of the things, the piece of advice that I give young developers who ask me privately, you know, how, how, do, how do you do this? What are you learning? I, I always say you have to understand who the ultimate buyer is on, on, you know, understand the macroeconomics of how this all comes together and understand that the, who the people are who are really moving the, the pieces on the chessboard. You may think that, you know, getting to know the government officials are moving the pieces on the chessboard, but it's a very small piece of the overall arc of winning and successfully installing a project. If you don't have a good relationship, let's say with someone at the, you know, at the firms that we mentioned on this podcast, um, sure. I would suggest that that you begin building one, <laughs> right? Uh, because it's it's phenomenal. The number of deals, I would dare say you see more deals than a typical banker would see, right? Like more. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Because you help. Well, the, by, by the time the bankers see them, we've already funneled through 10 of them and want put, you know, put one up for finance. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you are you are in many ways a filter for the market mm-hmm. of what gets to the banks. And I've seen this firsthand, you know, on a project that um, that you and I were involved in, where the developer was using, uh, in many ways, using fully uh, expertise to help filter who they wanted to partner with. And I think that happens more often than uh, than young developers understand, or, and certainly than people coming into the industry from the outside really understand. Well, y- given that you've seen so many different deals, both succeed and fail, I'm curious: is there a specific edge that you would, uh, it's kind of like the question I asked Marco uh, Garcia in, in the second episode, is there a particular edge that you would see of the successful developers? What signs uh, do you see from how they develop their projects and their market that would signal where a, a young developer or, or product salesperson might best spend their resources? Sure. Yeah. And, and this might go kind of similar to what we're doing on the legal side to dig a little deeper um, you know, locally. And I think, you know, when you look at Latin America generally, there are multiple more, you know, there are a couple dozen markets actually. And it's difficult if you're spreading yourself, if you're a small shop, spreading yourself, you know, across all of these markets. And, you know, they're so, they're so specific in each one to really understand and know them. And if I'm looking at it from a investor's perspective or from a, a financier's perspective, you, you want your developer and your sponsor to feel and look and know locally everything because the banks, the other investors have a difficult time. They can't know all the markets either. And so you really want to partner with someone who gives you that confidence. And so for us, it's really focus on the, some primary markets that we can get in and get deep in and know inside now the regulations. And if, and if you look at on the development side where you know the land rights, you know how to get interconnected, you know, how to sell power, how are you going to sell your power or not if there's a market for the rec markets and and start really learning that stuff inside and out so that the investor has the confidence that they can rely on what you're doing and they can focus it on, on just getting the money to you and out uh, in the most efficient way possible. So, you know, that, t- that type of stuff feeding into construction as well is very important. I've, it's shocking to me how many projects I've seen in Latin America where um, they're held up because some little, you know, local thing wasn't taken care of, or that, you know, in Brazil someone didn't know you had to pay this little tax to bring in a solar panel, or there's this fat tax, or, you know, it's held up in customs and and having that system to move things through, and and you know how how it can be in. There, there can be more bureaucracy in in many of the countries that we work in in Latin America, and delays in any aspect of the project can kill projects. And so, just having uh, equipment or permits or something held up for another, you know, four or five, six months can blow your PPA deadlines. And so, that's something that, as a local developer, learn that stuff, dig into that stuff. Spend some time, like we said, rolling up your sleeves and getting a little elbow grease on to to give those investors financing the future parties that may be partners or buying or investing in the projects confidence in that. 
Yeah, I actually hearken back to uh, really the last two episodes. I, I did a, a piece of last week's episode on how to be a good partner, and Lamberto Camacho in episode six talked about being um, being able to find the right local partner, and it all he keyed in specifically on the things that you mentioned. And I've found it true that if you know, not only do the investors look at your strategic plan for a re- for a region and how you're where you're finding a beachhead and, a, and sort of a cornerstone market and, and I'm just thinking back Edgar Arvizu talked a lot about that as well in his episode where you identify two or three markets and you go deep and you find a good local partner and you know I, I mentioned last week finding a good legal uh, legal counsel who give you recommendations and connect you is also helpful and 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 use their filter, and I, I would suggest use the filter that you know that Jeff just gave as a template for whether or not you found a good local partner. And that local partner ought to be able to tell you number one how to remove barriers and obstacles in their market, but number two, what to prioritize, which ones first. And that ultimately is where people people get lost because they think, oh, well, this is just like you know another state in the U.S. It's anything but. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I'm curious, man, from a headlines perspective, any news that's particularly grabbing your attention or worthy of discussion? Anything that you can think of that is just uh, provoking? Well, I mean, right now, of course, in, in, you know, in Mexico, it's really interesting to see we're finally kind of at that point where we've been looking for the last couple of years where we think we can take projects and, and bigger scale projects to the next level. So I'm I'm very much watching that market for the next you know, three and a half months to see how the tenders come out, the RFP comes out, and how both from a solar perspective and from another power generation perspective, how that develops. I think number two, lots of, you know, more more of the same from Puerto Rico, but but um, hopeful that we see something that will be interesting there. We're coming up on an election year. Mm. Uh, and, you know, so, so, you know, a lot, typically that means it's kind of stalled out, but I don't know if we have much more time to stall there. And then, you know, looking into South America, you know, uh, there there are big markets that haven't been tapped or have been tapped locally, but not internationally. Like like you look at Argentina, Venezuela, and places that have, that that for obvious reasons haven't kind of been uh, bringing in that foreign investment. And to see, you know, keep an eye is this is this something, you know, those are kind of being shook up a little bit. So see, will there be opportunities there, and how long will that take? Because those are big big markets with lots of resources. So I'm curious from your perspective, sort of sitting, um, sitting in North America, traveling quite a bit, how, how do you keep your finger on that pulse, right? Like you're focused on the specific projects of customers who've brought you opportunities to help them, uh, close transactions. Mm-hmm. How do you keep a finger on the pulse of the Venezuelas and Argentinas? What are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, I would say two fronts. One is on the legal side, we have good relationships in, you know, what we would probably call the t- kind of our top markets, and and where we stay in touch with some of the top, like like my peers in those countries, and and doing things like, um, uh, you know, we we hold events and and invite them, and we also do more personal things like secondments. So, for example, you know, for three months this fall. I had a, a partner at a, a, you know, one of the an energy firm in Mexico who literally just inv- I invited them to come and and house an office in our Los Angeles office as almost a little mini LLM oh, that's to, cool. to to come up to speed on hey this is how we do these things in the U S and in other markets and you educate me on how these are going in the local context in Mexico and let's see if we can't come up with something that's that's together better than we're even both doing right now and that gives us that insight where just this morning he had actually just called my office and so I'm getting those kind of daily pings of something new or something interesting is happening on the legal front on the business front we do similar things with the wealthy family groups in the regions mm-hmm. and so well, I want to. I want to ask out. you to give all those secrets away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't give any of those secrets away or any of those contacts. But to tell you, you know, th- from the business side, those are some of the groups that, uh, in fact, almost always they are the individuals who have opportunities, you know, initially to do some of these projects, and and so having good relationships with that kind of local group on the business side. You'll you'll kind of very uh, and they they are of course this is what they <clears throat> they live in that market every single day so they're sensitive and 
kind of know where things are going. And, you know, for me personally, I just show a genuine interest in it and, and, and actually do try to keep up on it. And I think that sort of feeds and, and some of those, those parties are appreciative of that. And so therefore they give, they give, you know, the information to you knowing that it's something that, that I appreciate. Yeah, that's great, man. And I've, uh, yeah, I've witnessed how, how well you do manage those relationships. It's, uh, it's no doubt one of the reasons why you're one of the star, uh, attorneys in our industry. So kudos for that. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm going to move on a little to a little section I call learning leadership and legacy. And I'm curious, uh, along the lines of, uh, what we were discussing and how you kind of keep tabs on the different markets, are there maybe a couple of books or tools Things you know, things that you've created or things that you're tracking that impact how you understand the markets, and maybe share how that how that works for you. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's like it's exactly like podcasts like this, right? I mean, this is a great this is a great kind of little forum and venue. And in fact, um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, an associate that worked with me said, "Man, this is a we should do something like this. This is a really good idea." So I'm glad to see you bring this to fruition. <laughs> Um, and you know, I think in, in the, on the LATAM side, as far as just kind of data and information, the, the G, the folks at GTM research, they do a good job. It seems at kind of compiling some of that on a kind of a broader, a broader level. So, um, so that stuff is available. There's, you know, what I like to do personally is just keep in touch with, we sort of have our own internal network within the firm of, of, of outside of energy the attorneys and business folks doing business in Latin America. And it's our, our Latin America group. And I just try to constantly keep in touch with those groups that might be doing or that have a long history of doing business already in Latin America and who could be touching on solar or on energy. And so for me, um, and having having you know a firm that's been doing work in the manufacturing business and the automotive business for over 100 years, in, in the Midwest, that's a group that I try to keep in touch with. So manufacturing groups, the automotive group, and and are you talking are you talking building. like associations or is that what you mean by groups? Yeah, I mean associations. I keep in touch with my my attorney contacts that are involved in those associations, and mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, because it you know we're, we we obviously know this in the solar space, but I mean some of those. Some of those, like in the automotive space and manufacturing space, are the largest consumers of energy that we see in some of these groups in Latin America. So I try to stay in front of those groups. I feed them with information about how the market, the market regulations, like in Mexico with these new reforms coming out, how that goes, and and just offer to be a sounding board if any of them have questions or are looking at you know, doing something in the space or adding or supplementing you know, what they currently have. And so that's proven to be pretty useful as well. That's great. It's that give and take, you know, you got to make those deposits over time. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, we always try to figure out what's on your nightstand. What are you reading these days? <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly, I'm, I'm mostly a, a check my iPad kind of guy at night, flip through newsletters. Um, you know, I probably, now you're a newsletter junkie, huh? Yeah, I mean, I follow a lot of that kind of stuff. I do like, you know, in my, in my prior days, I used to read a lot of books. My wife and my kids, they they read a lot of books, and so I'm looking I'm looking into into getting, you know, I'm taking I'm taking suggestions on my next read. So let's put it that way. Oh well, I always uh, I always make suggestions, and I'm I'm happy to do that for you. <laughs> I, uh, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. In fact, I'm going to be starting on the on the mysuncast.com a list of recommended reading from guests. So, uh, think about it. And if you want to, if you want to email me some, uh, something that you would like to add to that list, I'm happy to do it. Um, I'd love to do it. I'm curious though, if you've read the, if you've looked at, uh, the latest climate scope by BNEF. I haven't looked at that. It's pretty good. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I mean, one of the things that it highlights that I thought was really cool is that developing countries outpaced developed countries in attracting clean tech investment. How's that? Oh yeah. Yeah. How's that for? I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> for further undergirding the claim that Latin America and emerging markets in general are the fastest growing markets for, for solar and, and for renewables. Yeah. But, it, yeah. you know, 50, 50 gigawatts of new clean capacity was built in the 55 uh, climate scope countries in 2014, which is a, a, a 21%, yeah, 21% increase. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, the thing is, 
it's this is a rising this i think this is a rising tide and um i try to yeah i definitely try to i recommend climate scope if you aren't familiar with climate scope you can go to global-climatescope.org and uh and check it out it's a an annual competitiveness index that is done by bloomberg that's quite uh quite good excellent listen what yeah, one, i've seen some of them <laughs> yeah yeah i yeah i try to read it every year what one thing do you consistently do that yields the greatest impact in your personal or professional life jeff uh, probably in both it's uh it's 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 in person it's getting together with with you know whether it's in you know friends personally or or clients and colleagues professionally, but, but getting together, you know, face to face and person to person. Mm. And, you know, I, I try to make, I mean, we, it's so easy to stay connected electronically down. And there's a lot of ways that that becomes beautiful with email, with text, with everything else we've got. And, you know, in, in, you know, internationally, for example, uh, before having WhatsApp, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm able to stay in kind of constant contact with so many more people that way. Isn't it amazing? Uh, but, it's it's really amazing. WhatsApp Having alone that, as a tool is amazing. I literally got I got contracts over WhatsApp when I was at Trina. Yeah. No joke. It's it's fan, it's fantastic. Um, and you know that said, the the kind of connections and just the 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 realness of having I think that that tool becomes such a good tool when you have kind of those personal relationships and connections to to give a little more history to it. So I, I love to just get together with folks, whether it's, um, you know, stopping by, I try to, you know, it might mean a little more time, you know, on, on an airplane, but I try to take advantage of a trip that I'm always doing. If I'm already going somewhere for a trip or to speak at a conference or to negotiate, you know, something, I always try to check in with a handful of my other friends who are there in town and just get together, whether it's just for a minute uh, for a drink to do something, you know, play at play, a, you know, down in Mexico a couple of weeks ago at a conference. We we got some tennis matches on top of the hotel, <laughs> on top of the, huh. the roof at one of the hotels. Epic. It was, you know, less than an hour and it was fantastic. And, you know, so I think I think that for me personally, um, having that kind of in-person uh, face-to-face type meetings and then backing it up with that more regular contact electronically is probably given the greatest results that I've that I've had. Outstanding. I'm going to move to a section we call hot or not. And, <laughs> uh, and, oh, oh, but before I do that, actually, I want to, I wanted to, uh, remark it. I have been the, the beneficiary and the recipient of several of those, uh, lunch invitations and I'm grateful for it. And you, <laughs> you remind me very much of a guy. And I don't know if you've read his book called named Keith Ferrazzi and the book is called never eat alone. And I think, you know, I think his probably his primary client base is probably lawyers who live and die by that phrase, <laughs> never eat alone. Right? You're, um, but it, uh, if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. Keith Ferrazzi is a master networker. And what I heard in your answer is, you know, just keep honing the skill of networking and you'll never be without a deal pipeline. Yep. Great. Well, hot or not is, you know, I name markets. You spend 30, 60 seconds. Tell me whether you think it's hot or not and why. So we'll jump in to South America and sort of move our way north, starting with Brazil, hot or not? Well, Brazil's always hot, but it just takes a long time for anything to develop there. It might be a slow cooker. <laughs> Indeed. I love it. a slow cooker, hot. Chile. Chile. Love, love Chile, but I think, you know, the market seems like it's a little more saturated. And so, you know, there's there's a little bit of movement away from Chile into markets that people think are bigger, like mm -hmm. Brazil and Mexico. Yeah. And hey, why not? We got a new president now. So Argentina. Uh, you know, I think it was probably it's getting warmer. It's getting warmer. So, yeah, yeah, I would definitely have said not uh, a month ago. Exactly. So we'll, we'll see. This is going to it's moving through the lukewarm phase. Colombia. Colombia's hot. It's, you know, obviously hot. Yeah. We'll have a follow up call with you and I about why it's obviously hot. <laughs> uh, Panama. Panama has been, you know, was hot. And I think it, it continues. Small market, though. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not a lot. Of, what is it? Four million people or so that, that are there. And, uh, you know, but in, it's very attractive for some of the same reasons that Chile has historically been very attractive. Yeah, I think the two markets are in many ways synonymous from a DREG perspective and a bankability perspective. 
mm-hmm. um, on the bankability note, what about El Salvador? El Salvador is, uh, you know, being the neighbor to Guatemala is down there, great, you know, great place, a lot of potential. Um, there's been a lot of bureaucracy or, 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 you know, items that are kind of holding, holding back big development there. So, you know, I would say, Luke, let's see, let's see how that kind of rolls out. Yeah. We'll call it the Caribbean in general. Feel free to highlight any country, countries that stand out. I mean, the Caribbean in general just makes a ton of sense for solar and particularly solar off grid type, you know, you know, with storage and other kind of things like that. When you look at the, the, the number of, you know, in almost every country throughout the Caribbean, they've got either some type of, you know, manufacturing or cement or mining or, or, um, you know, sugar cane or other kind of plantation type operations that consume a lot of electricity with grids that are not that stable and right. with prices that are high. So, I mean, to me, the Caribbean in general, you know, is and should always be a pretty hot market for, for us. It's, it's just getting, getting the right kind of bankable partners, the right, um, projects. And, and, you know, I think most of the regulatory, most of the government structures and, and business folks in, the, in that area are very supportive of solar. It's just getting a way to get it done. All right. And we always end with Mexico. Mexico's great. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is been, it has been warm and is, and is getting hot and I'm hopeful that with the kind of latest round, we'll see, we'll see some more movement. Um, whether it's, whether it's hot for solar yet is a question to me. I think that in the next 12 to 24 months, we'll start to see it get hotter and hotter. And at least that's what I'm hopeful for. You know, I just love the pragmatic answer from a lawyer that uh, if you guys seriously don't talk to your uh, to your colleagues in the industry about what where the market's going because this guy is telling you what you should be hearing, twelve to twenty four months from now, not three months from now when everybody starts you know picking their picking their groom for the tender, uh, <laughs> you know, or even tomorrow now that the now that the rules are out for uh, yep. for the tender. Well, that is excellent. Um, let's Jeff, I've had so much fun on this call with you, man, as always, it's so much, just, it's such a joy to hear your perspective on the market. You're very well, uh, thought of and very well, um, informed on the market. So we're really grateful for that. I want to end today with a bold prediction. (laughs) If you're familiar, if you listen to the show, can you tell me what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? You know, something that is we've kind of forgot about was Puerto Rico and how, um, you mm. know, and in Latin America, almost, I mean, that was one of the first markets that really took off. And then we've seen nothing for three and a half years or right. so. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm hopeful this, I don't know if it's a prediction as much as this is kind of hope, but that we see in the next 12 months and maybe as those elections kind of clear up, but some, some, and, and as like the, you know, the, the, the debt problems and everything else start to get, a little more hopefully resolved in Puerto Rico, we see some movement because that's an area that could really benefit from development, from solar and from, you know, kind of the other things that, that, that the industry has to offer. Yeah. Puerto Rico, there's, there's that's <laughs> two votes. So my wife is well aware of the fact that we moved to Miami because Puerto Rico was supposed to pop and it fizzled. It is. You know, I pulled my family out of the Bay area and moved to the, the sweltering heat of Miami uh, for Puerto Rico, if nothing else. And, uh, you know, thank I you. Love it. Thank you to my Mexico friends and my Central America friends who have salvaged, uh, and, and helped to revive uh, <laughs> my Latin America hopes and dreams for having a, a career, uh, cause Puerto Rico certainly did not support. So that's the, that, there you go from the, from the horse's mouth. Jeff Atkin is betting, <laughs> is betting that Puerto Rico is going to get revived. You heard it here on Open. Suncast first. <laughs> Jeff, always a pleasure man thanks so much for being on the show i really appreciate you brother all right buddy love love what you're doing talk soon thanks a lot well i'm excited to see that you're here still listening to today's conversation my friend i'm certain you are taking notes with me and you're getting some wonderful tips on how to improve on your game in the coming week in particular i'm certain We'll both be better networkers and we'll pay more attention to how to build deeper relationships thanks to Jeff's advice. 
Now, I'll be dropping some of Jeff's wisdom throughout the Twitter sphere this week. So if you liked the show, please retweet what you heard or what you see me posting. And make sure you're following me on Twitter at Nico Mayo, at N-I-C-O-M-E-O. Following on the conversation about book advice that Jeff and I touched on there at the end, Jeff did email me recently that he had just finished Legacy by James Kerr over the holidays. It's a book about 15 lessons in leadership by the All Blacks New Zealand rugby team. Very inspiring book indeed, and it'll go on our recommendation list. And remember that the one thing Jeff said he does consistently to produce results is getting together personally and regularly with his contacts to keep a common thread. And he credits authentic network in this way as the key to his continued success. Hope you learned from that, my friends. And I really hope that you're enjoying the show. Remember that if you subscribe in iTunes, you'll be automatically notified each time a new episode is released. Similarly, you can join the mailing list if you go to www.mysuncast.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and you'll get an email from yours truly the morning a new episode is available. If, in fact, you're on the website and you have a suggestion for someone you think should be featured on the show, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line on the website or fire me an email. My email address is nico at mysuncast.com. You can also tweet me at Nico Mayo or just find me on LinkedIn. And hey, one more thing before you go. I've spoken here a bit about the Latin America and Caribbean Solar Alliance, or LAXA for short, one of our ongoing partners for Suncast. And one of our guiding principles at LAXA is to help promote knowledge sharing and clarification on specific markets for constituents. And we work to obtain opportunities for you to attend regional conferences at a discounted rate. So if you're still interested in Mexico and still on the fence about the upcoming Green Tech Media Solar Summit in Mexico at the end of this month, wait no longer. Solar Summit Mexico will leverage Green Tech Media Research's regional expertise in Mexico along with top industry thought leaders to ensure your company is uniquely positioned to capture specific opportunities while appropriately managing regulatory, political, and market risk. Join your industry colleagues January 27th to 28th in Mexico City for this two-day event. With over six hours of dedicated business networking opportunities, you'll meet the companies who will be doing business in Mexico and who want to do business with you. You'll hear featured speakers from SolarCity, SunPower, Hanwha Q-Cells, S-Power, Galt Energy, Gauss Energia, Involta, and hey, they even invited yours truly to share the stage. So head over to the website and register today at www.solarsummitmexico.com. Again, that's solarsummitmexico.com. And receive a 15% off discount with the special code LAXA15. That's LAXA15. I hope to see you there in two weeks, my friend. It's a perfect time for you to take action and get into the Mexico market. There's never been a better time. Remember, Use our special discount code to receive a whopping 15% off. That code again is LACSA15, LAXA15. Well, please tune in again next week for another episode of Suncast. And thank you for listening. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.